Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. I want to read to you from Jeremiah chapter 2. Message is called Broken Cisterns. Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, that would be Jeremiah. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and, and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord. First fruits of his harvest, all who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask Where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives? I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priest didn't ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coasts of Cyprus and look. Send to Kedar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What an odd passage of Scripture to read for homecoming. Isn't that an odd passage of Scripture to read for homecoming? I mean, you'd expect that I'd read something that was uh, uplifting and made you smile when I read it. And then here we are reading a passage like this. I mean, what in the world? What's got into our preacher? I don't know. I was down in Jamaica back about 30 years ago, and uh, we were down in the inner part of the country leading some evangelistic crusades, and I noticed at the corner of a house, there was this, this large tank. It was a stone tank. And I asked someone, what, what is that tank? And they said, well, when it rains during our rainy season, the water comes off the roof And the roof is sloped in such a way that the water runs down and into this tank. They said, I said, well, uh, did you build this tank? They said, well, we don't call it a tank. We call it a cistern. Cistern. 
See, I'd never used the word cistern. The only time I'd ever heard the word cistern was in the old country churches I, was growing up, I grew up in, and there you had brethren and cistern. You know what I mean? And so I, I had no idea brethren and cistern is what I was used to, but I didn't know it was a, a tank that would hold water. And then I read Jeremiah 2, where Jeremiah said that God's people had gotten to the point where they were, had replaced God the true and living God with idol gods, small g. And he says, those replacement gods that you have replaced the true God with, they are like broken cisterns. They're like a cistern, a water tank for water that has cracked, and now all the water's going out of it. And, and, and then I realized where we got our, our uh, uh, phrase, you know, that just doesn't hold water. Jeremiah says, you have started following false gods who just don't hold any water. Jeremiah's coming down pretty hard on these folks. He accuses them of replacing God with other things in life, things that he calls broken cisterns. And I believe that what Jeremiah said to the people of Judah 20, almost 2,600 years ago now, is relevant for us. Yes, it's relevant for, relevant for us even at a time like homecoming. And so I want to bring some things out of this passage that I think are applicable for us. The first thing I want to start with, and I would like to start on an up note, is to simply say we have a history with God. We have a history with God. In fact, everybody in this room, each individual has a history with God. Now, you may be someone who says, man, I, I don't even normally go to church. I'm just here because my, my grandma uh, made, some, made her regular uh, uh, banana pudding or her apple cobbler, and I, I just don't miss it, and so I came, but I don't normally go to church. God doesn't know me. Yeah, God knows you, and God has a history with you even when we don't even realize it and he wants a greater history with us because he wants a relationship that is ongoing god has a has a history with our church and we as a church palmetto baptist church also have a history uh, with god it is a history of god's goodness it's also a history of our sporadic faithfulness. Sometimes we are good and sometimes not. And it is a, uh, a history of our discontent. Discontent. Uh, and discontent, by the way, can be a good thing. It's good not to be content with the way things are as they are for the sake of things as they are. It's good to be discontent with where I am spiritually right now, discontent enough that I'm willing to grow more tomorrow. But there can also be a destructive discontent that becomes unhappy with everything. There's just nothing that can make me happy. There's no song that can be sung in a good enough key. There's no sermon that can be fiery enough. There's no invitation that can be invitation enough. There's no choir number that can be choir number enough. And a lot of people are just in a chronic discontent. But we have a history with God, and it is a history of God's goodness. I think back, uh, our church was started in 1881. 
there was a small group of people who came out of Ramah Baptist Church. Now it's Ramah First Baptist Church on the other side of Palmetto. And they said during those days, and remember, that was during the era of dirt roads, right? Uh, it was during an era not just of dirt roads, but of mud roads. And it became a real ordeal. You and I can't, we can't fathom this, but it became a real ordeal for people on the south side of Palmetto to drudge through the mud on Sunday morning to the northern side of Palmetto to go to church at Ramah. Now, I think the only way we could understand that, and I don't think this is an exaggeration at all, would be that if, if Palmetto Baptist Church, if, if Ramah Baptist Church, if we were all members of Ramah Baptist Church, but Ramah was, was up there in, uh, near Perimeter Mall in Dunwoody. Y'all know where Perimeter Mall is? Raise your hand. There's a whole bunch of ladies raised their hand there. On the north side of Atlanta, let's say Ramah was way up there, but we lived down here on the south side around College Park, East Point, Fairburn. And every Sunday morning we would get up and we would go up 85, 75, or we'd go around to 285 to get to church. And then one day we said, you know, why don't we have a church down here where we are? Now you might say, well, that's hardly comparable to north and south Palmetto. Why, certainly it is. If, if you had to drudge through the mud and you didn't have a vehicle, but instead you had to go either walk or go through a horse and buggy or just a mule or whatever. And so one day this group of people said, we, we think we, we, God is leading us to start a church down here uh, uh, closer to where we are in Palmetto. And so they went to the folks at Ramah, and uh, George W. Colquitt was the pastor at Ramah at that time, and they asked for permission to leave to start a church. And Ramah granted permission. Now I want you to understand something. Most churches today are started because somebody at the church got mad at somebody else and talked enough other people to get mad about that something else, and they decided they couldn't worship with those other folks, and they left, and they started a church down there, and the folks that they left, they, they wouldn't have given them permission to do it because they don't like them. That was not the way our church started, though. These folks were in good fellowship with the folks at Ramah, but they wanted a church closer to home so they didn't have to drudge so much through the mud, they asked permission, and Ramah said, okay. Now, Ramah at that time met every Sunday morning for worship. And at that time also, there was a shortage of preachers. Now, I know some of you would like to go back to those days where there was a shortage of preachers. I understand what you're saying. The woods are full of them now. There, we're about a dime a dozen. I know what you're thinking. But there was a shortage of preachers, and, and the folks at the new church that they call Palmetto Baptist Church, and by the way, they were meeting in the Methodist church building. That's right. I know some of you said, oh, they'd never meet in the Methodist church building. Well, they absolutely did. Those Methodist folks are just as Christian as we Baptists are. I'm going to tell you that. They met in the Methodist building, but they didn't have a pastor. So they went back up to Ramah again, and they asked Ramah, we can't find a preacher. Would you share... George W. Colquitt, your pastor, with us. Now that's asking a lot, folks. And Ramah said yes. So Ramah not only gave these folks permission to start a new church, but they said, yep, yeah, we'll share our pastor. We'll go back to meeting twice a month with preaching from Brother Colquitt, and you can have him the other two Sundays. Now, Brother Colquitt was a genius. 
Y'all have gone, things have really deteriorated in pastoral leadership since the days of George W. Coquit. He spoke four languages. He taught college level academics. And up until this year, he was the longest serving uh, senior pastor of our church. The longest serving pastoral staff member at all has been Chris Gould, who was here 30 years. But I think when I look back to that early history of Rama's generosity, not only in letting our people start a new church that has blossomed into this, but also being willing to share at great sacrifice their pastor. I'm going to tell you something. Tell me a church that has done that. I have to think God was there. We have a history with God. I remember reading back 1932 when our church finally decided we need to build a new building. And, and they built a new building, and the, the building committee was looking for what to build the building out of. And there was a new technology that had just come on the, the scene. It was called cinder blocks. <laughs> cinder blocks. I'm telling you, nobody had cinder blocks. They were brand new. And we had, we had decided to use that new technology to start a building. Now, there was a little bit of controversy with it. Because being Georgians like we are, some of us mispronounced the name of the block and we called them center blocks and folks didn't like that. They said, we can't have a building made out of centers. They said, no, it's cinders. Built that building in 1932 and that bad boy lasted us. In fact, it's still sitting down there middle of town. And we're trying to sell it, but that building lasted us. And then there came along a fellow by the name of uh, Mr. Frank Smith. And after several different things have added on in the 80s and 90s, added that whole education wing. And I know a lot of people contributed to it. And I don't know exactly how, how much anybody totally contributed to it. But I understand that Frank Smith was uh, responsible for a lot of that thing being constructed. And it had an elevator in it. Now, if you've seen our elevator in the old building, granted, it's not much. And it doesn't smell very good. It's a little bitty thing. About two people can get into it. And it just goes up three floors. But I'm going to tell you what, what church with about 100 members in the late 80s and 90s had an elevator in it? I don't know. Was God in that elevator? Didn't smell like it. But I, I believe he was. And then there was a person by the name of Broadus Bradley. I didn't know Mr. Broadus. I wish I had. Mr. Broadus Bradley was a Christian who had the gift of making money. And he, he not only made money, but he gave money. One day he came up when Chris Gould wanted to help start a food pantry. And Mr. Broadus gave $150,000 to the food pantry. Y'all might need this, he said. Do you know how many folks with that kind of money is willing to let go of it like that? I counted one day. Two years ago, I counted all the people in America, and there were only two people who'd be willing to do that. Broadus did, though. Then in the 80s, Chris Gould came to our church, Chris and Bonnie Gould. 
Did I tell you about the story of how that happened? We had a search committee looking for a new minister of music, and they had a candidate. Frank Lambert was the chair of that committee, but don't ask him. He has no idea what he did back then. They went down to Louisiana to interview this candidate, and when they got down there, candidate wasn't available. And somebody on the committee says, you know, I know this guy and his wife. They used to be up here at Unity in uh, Noonan, and uh, let's go talk with him. He's not looking for a church, but let's go talk with him. And it happened to be Chris Gould. Chris and Bonnie went and talked to him. They said, by the way, Chris, would you be interested in coming to our church? And long story short is Chris did come. Chris and Bonnie came. They raised their family, their girls here. Chris started mission trips. And when he uh, died, he had led us on 30 mission trips. We continue those mission trips. Let me tell you something. A person like Chris is a godsend. We have a history with God. That's what I'm trying to say to you. And then we decided we needed to relocate. Now, this is after I came. We decided the church decided we needed to relocate. We made plans to come down here, but we didn't have, we didn't have any money. And I remember there was a, a, a family that owned a piece of property way out in now what's Chattahoochee Hills. And uh, it was several acres of land. And it, it, it was appraised for somewhere in the neighborhood of $500,000, which is no small sum. And the Lord led that family to give that piece of property to us. Now, that's a lot. They gave that piece of property to us, and they said it's uh, appraised about half a million dollars, maybe a little more. And they said, you sell it, and whatever you sell it for, it'll go toward the church. Now, watch this. As if half a million dollars wasn't wasn't enough. A professional NBA basketball player came across that property and offered us over a million dollars for it. Did somebody say God? Hello? Yeah. We have a history with God. It's one of God's goodness. It's one of our sporadic faithfulness. It's one of sometimes our discontent. But the second thing I want you to know is that although we have a history with God that is really good and sometimes good on our part, overall the human race has a history of replacing God with God's. The first of the Ten Commandments says, this is the first one now, you shall have no other gods before me, Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. And yet, 12 chapters later, within 40 days, Moses went to talk with God on the mountain. And when he came back down, the people had gathered all their jewelry, they had melted it down, and they had fashioned an idol God made made in the image of a calf. Jeremiah said, you have replaced the living God with broken cisterns gods. I would love to say to you that our idol gods today are not quite as sophisticated as the golden calves of Israel's day. 
But unfortunately, Satan is a very clever, clever, clever being. And he has, he has, he's not going to bother with us making golden calves, but he, he's going to get us to take on idols that are far more sophisticated. Jeff Foxworthy says, you might be a redneck if, and I'll say we might be idolaters if, we have broken cisterns that are more and bigger stuff. Houses, cars, toys. When any possession that I have dominates my thoughts and captures my affections more than the treasures of Christ, that possession has become an idol for Jimmy Orr. Nationalism. You don't make that out of a golden calf. Nationalism. Nationalism says God favors our country more than he favors any other country. Now, God does love our country. But he doesn't love our country above any other country. And if, if nationalism is something that we will fight somebody over, then nationalism may be our idol. Money. When our, our faith beliefs, when our relationship with Christ takes second fiddle to our bank accounts and our 401k balances, then it could be that our money has become an idol that has replaced Jesus. Our politics. When we think that God always agrees with my political opinion, our political opinions, when we fight for our own political beliefs more than we fight for Jesus Christ, our political beliefs have become an idol. Hobbies. When we have greater delight in our hobbies than we have in our walk with Christ, we've wandered down the path of idolatry. Entertainment. When we spend more time absorbing the entertainment of Hollywood than we do contemplating godly truth, we're toying with idolatry. Folks, when we are more concerned about the Kardashians than we are the Christ, we have an idol. Social media. Y'all wanting me to hush now, aren't you? I know you are. When social media excites us more than spiritual interests, we're in the process of erecting other gods, broken cisterns. Our favorite sports teams. When our favorite sports team excites us more than our Savior excites us, we may be committing idolatry. Boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other, relationships. When we find excessive delight in a relationship with some other person to the neglect of our relationship with Christ, that person may have become an idol to us. What about ministry? Service. Do you realize that when we find more delight in serving Christ than we do in seeking Christ? Even ministry can become an idol. Don't neglect our duties, but don't make an idol out of our spiritual duties either. Numbers and success. I regret the fact that we Baptists count more than anybody else in the planet. We're accountants. We count 
And, and I'm glad, I'm glad we count, but at the same time, we put away too much emphasis in, in how many folks are doing this, that, and the other. Sometimes we favor quantity over quality to the extent that numbers and measurements of success become more important to us than God. Self-confidence. When we find greater confidence in our own strengths and abilities than in a humble reliance with Christ, we can easily fall under the spell of the idolatry of self-worship. It's homecoming. Homecoming reminds, reminds us of our rich history, a history of God's goodness, of God's faithfulness. But it also reminds us of our sometimes rotten history of ourselves, a history that, to which we're so blinded today. A history of erecting idols and not even realizing that we're worshiping them or replacing God with them. Only difference is, as opposed to Moses' time, ours are not any longer made out of stone. You have a history with God. A history of God's goodness. A history of your sometimes goodness and your sometimes faithfulness and sometimes not so much. But God wants an even longer history with you and with us. And my prayer is that if the Lord tarries his coming and the calendar keeps rolling and we go around to the year 2118 and not a soul who's here today is going to be here. We're going to be in heaven, hopefully. I know I am. But when 2118 comes rolling around, if the Lord has tarried his coming that long, I hope that there's still somewhere a family called Palmetto Baptist Church that's meeting, and meeting for homecoming, and they're saying, we got a history with God, and it's been a good one most of the time. Let's pray. Lord, we have a history with you. On your part, it's always been faithfulness, always been goodness, always been loyalty on your part. We haven't always understood what you've done or why you've done what you've done, but we know when we travel down the road long enough, we turn around and we know that we have a good history with you. Forgive us, Lord, for our sporadic faithfulness and help us to be more consistently faithful. Make us aware of the idols that we worship that become more important to us than the Jesus who saved us. And Lord, help us to throw away the idols that have replaced you. Lord, I pray that you'd accept our thanks for homecoming. And Lord, as we have this invitation, I pray that someone would come and receive you as their Savior. I pray that someone would come and join this church. I pray that others would come, worship you, Lord, in this altar. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.